1: everybody. Welcome back to Gray Malkin Lane, the podcast where queer friends and allies gather to review and discuss the original X-Men comics from the 1960s. Now, last time we reviewed X-Men number 31 called Beware the Juggernaut, My Son, with the novelist Kath Loria. The X-Men are all coupled up now. Uh, Iceman turned 18 and he had his first kiss with Zelda. Professor X built a machine to try to take Juggernaut's powers away, but the mysterious Factor 3 interfered and the machine exploded, which left Xavier unconscious and Juggernaut with Xavier's powers. Factor 3 told Juggernaut to go find a plane and come join them in Europe, so he knocked out all the X-Men, tipped over Cerebro, and he is on his way. Uh, So today we're going to be reviewing the issue that follows that up. X-Men number 33, which is from April 1967. Uh, We have very special guests. Uh, Heather is back with us for the first time in a little while. Uh, Mike Siriaco is here with us. And we have the hardest working man in comics, Mr. Jordan White, is with us here this evening as well. So what an honor to have all of you here. As I have you each introduce yourselves, let's go in the order of uh, Jordan, Heather, and then Mike. Let us know your name, what you're working on. Uh, your gender pronouns. And then the question I have for everybody tonight is what fictional franchise besides the X-Men do you find yourself obsessed with?
2: Uh, Jordan, do you want to go first? Uh, yes, absolutely. My name is Jordan D. White. I am a senior editor at Marvel Comics. Uh, you can call me he, him. Uh, I I edit the X-Men line right now. Uh, and... Uh, it's very generous of you to call me the hardest working man in comics uh not at all not at all there's 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 a lot a lot of hard-working people in comics so i i i, I hesitate to get anywhere near that title <laughs> but uh i'm very happy working on the x books right now we're doing something pretty awesome so yeah it's fun to talk about uh old x comics sometimes
1: uh and what uh what franchise oh, right. do you find yourself obsessed with
2: okay so okay interesting now you had w- w- earlier you said genres and stuff. So I was thinking of a different thing. I, I've read um, over the last year, I have read uh, 30 Agatha Christie novels. Mm. Um, now that's not exactly a franchise, although most of those novels were Poirot novels, not all of them, I, because I actually have been, I started at the beginning of her novels and I'm skipping the romances that she wrote under a different name, but reading all the mysteries, because I just have gotten really into reading kind of fun mysteries. And um, but, oh, but the actual answer, even better franchise, obviously, duh. I can't believe I hesitated. It's uh Friday the 13th. Oh, I good. love the Friday the 13th movies. I think about those movies way too much. Uh, I go for, I look for any excuse to watch them again and or talk about them again and, or think about them again to that end. I'm actually working on a podcast about the Friday the 13th movies, which I know there's, they already exist, but it's a fun thing. I'm not going to talk about it too much yet because we're not, not we haven't announced it yet, but, uh, I'm working on it. It's fun. It's good. I love those movies.
1: That's fantastic. I've never seen one of
2: those. <laughs> I need to. Well, so they're not like. I don't know if you like slasher movies and gory horror movies. If you don't, you won't enjoy them. <laughs> there, but I love them for a lot of reasons. One is that I love those things. I like. I love horror movies, and I and I enjoy like slasher movies and, and ridiculous things like that. But also, I'm I'm very fascinated by film franchises because. Um, This is starting to not be as true now uh, because nowadays, where everybody makes a movie hoping to make a a, a cinematic universe with 27,000 spin offs. But before recently, before the Marvel Cinematic Universe, really, um, when you made a movie, you were just making a movie, right? Maybe you'd go, we'll make a sequel, but you're just making a movie. So I am fascinated by the complete oddities that develop when you have a uh, cinematic franchise. Friday the 13th is a great example because like do you care if i spoil the ending of the first movie for you? It's totally fine. <laughs> if anybody objects.
3: Too soon. No. <laughs> it's a, obviously
2: it's a long time ago. And it's it's a thing that we kind of know in culture so so you might already know this. But the first movie the it's a whodunit kind of, but not, not a good one. Like it's the, when they reveal who did it, it's like, Oh, someone we've never heard of before. Fine. <laughs> uh, it's, it's this woman, Mrs. Voorhees, and she's killing all these camp counselors because they're reopening a camp that um, Jason, her son, Jason had gone to many, many years ago and he died. He died and drowned. And uh, because the, the counselors were goofing off. And so now she's killing them if they try to reopen the camp. And, you know, guess what? She dies at the end. Um, so then it made a ton of money, a ton of money, like a, a stupid amount of money for a movie that was like ridiculously cheap to make. And so they went, obviously, let's make another one. The There was a killer and she's dead. So they sat there and they went, how do we make a sequel to this? Oh, I know. That son that died, what if he didn't die? And what if he's the killer now? Wait, what? So you're going to undo the entire (laughs) Motivation Of the first film? All right, let's do it And And ladies and gentlemen, that's what we call a
1: retcon (laughs) (laughs) Fantastic Uh, And I have not seen those, but I do enjoy Any film that's well done I watch American Horror Story or Walking Dead, etc I can't necessarily
4: tell you That they're all well done, for sure
1: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Heather, did you want to go next?
4: Sure um my name is Heather and my pronouns are she her. Um I mean there I tend to get really obsessed with things really easily, but one that has stayed the course is Artemis Fowl. I reread all eight books at least once a year because I love them. And the movie that Disney came out with a while back is complete shit. Don't watch it. <laughs> <laughs> I also have more recently been obsessed with an author named Sarah J. Moss. And she has a particular series. Um, the first one is A Court of Thorns and Roses. And it's, the first one at least is kind of a Beauty and the Beast type of thing. But it's just really, it's really well written, like all of her books that I've read. Um, and it, it, What?
1: I was just going to say, I was expecting Buffy.
4: I'm getting there. (laughs) Um, And that one was actually the first time in a few years that I found myself with an immense crush on a fictional character. Um, And then, like you were saying, Buffy. I am in the last season of my latest rewatch. (laughs) Um, And I don't know. I'm sure that there are others but Harry
1: Potter I know you love too.
4: I do love Harry Potter. I've been part of a nonprofit that until recently was named the Harry Potter Alliance and I've been <laughs> with them for like 6 years. So. <laughs>
2: did they change their name? What did they change it to? It's been a while.
4: Um, we actually just rebranded as Fandom Forward. Great. Um, because it is more all-encompassing of all of the fandoms that we Used to change the world, um, mm-hmm. because we're not just Harry Potter focused anymore, and so decided that it was going to be better to brand to be more inclusive.
2: I, I'm I, but, as yeah. we speak. I'm fidgeting with a Voldemort wand because it's, it's sitting <laughs> hey, on Heather. my desk, and it's fun to fidget with.
4: Hey, I Heather. actually just got.
3: Oh, go ahead. No, uh, you say you love Harry Potter. My first question, in my head is, well, what house is Heather in? Slytherin. Oh, no.
2: That's
1: my back with you. (laughs) You really should. You really should.
4: We actually just went, my family just went to Universal in California a couple weeks ago. And I went to Harry Potter World and got Jenny's wand and tried Butterbeer.
2: (laughs) I, I always, I mean, I, I'm not going to endear you to myself to you, but uh, I always have said that I, I feel like they should do an enchantment on the the Sorting Hat that if it senses Slytherin, it just eats the person's head.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Why? Because they're all so mean. Okay.
2: <laughs> That's that sounds like a very idea. that sounds like a
1: very Slytherin <laughs> thing to say, Jordan. <laughs> no,
0: I
4: can no. name way more Slytherins who are not evil than.
2: That's how you define evil. okay 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 this is not a
1: harry potter podcast uh (laughs) uh, mike did you want to answer your next
3: yes uh hi i'm mike suriaco i'm a multimedia journalist for hey socal which is a media uh startup out here best way we describe it we care um cover a lot of edgy progressive stuff we're kind of like vice news if it just covered southern california
1: Hmm. and uh what are you obsessed with mike
3: Oh, God. As soon as you said it, it's like, it's like choosing a child. I actually looked over my DVD, um shelves of action figures. I'm like, am I going to go with Dragon Ball? Am I going with Sailor Moon? Am I going Pokemon? No, no, no. I'm going to go with my first obsession, He-Man. Mm. I was born in 1981, so some of my first memories are, you know, those like little kid memories or they're kind of dreamlike, they're kind of foggy. I remember playing with my uh, hand-me-down He-Man. And it was one of those, I should have known I was gay back then. I really liked that they were all in those little loincloths. So now, as an adult to this day, if a guy said a loincloth like Kazar to uh, Tarzan, I was just like, hmm, I'm going to keep reading. <laughs> this is really good artwork.
1: Excellent it's answers. I
3: like so much. It's just all of us in loincloths.
1: I was also obsessed with He-Man as a kid. We must be of an age. Uh, so my name is Chad. <laughs> I use he-him pronouns. I'm the host of Graham Lane, obviously. Yeah, you guys. For, for the uh, for the rest of the uh, listeners, you know a lot about me already. But uh, uh, I um, I re- well, I worked. I haven't told Jordan this. I worked on the Marvel handbooks a million oh. years ago under under Jeff Youngquist. Uh, I've more recently been a documentary filmmaker, uh, but I've been doing Dreamwalk and Line for this year. My obsessions have changed over the years. Um, I think my first big love was in Choose Your Own Adventure books. Those like oh. opened the whole world for me when I was very very young. Uh, and there's lots of things I've been obsessed with over the years. Um, but the X-Men has always been my first and largest love, uh, as well as anything Marvel, of course. Uh, so we're gonna spend the first part of our podcast today interviewing uh, Mr. Jordan White about some of his work. And Jordan, we could easily talk for hours and I wanna pick your brain about everything that's happening in the current comics. But I've, uh, I've written down um, some questions and we'll kind of just see where the conversation takes us. And Mike and Heather, feel free to interject at any point. I, I, uh,
2: I, am a, I'm a talker. I, I will, uh, I will definitely talk a lot and and probably go on lots of digressions. So <laughs> I'm sure it'll go places.
1: Okay. So question number one, what is your favorite X-Men run of all time? If you had to pick a uh, creator uh, artist, one section of books.
2: Well, uh, so okay. First of all, I, I, I feel like to answer this in the spirit of the question, I have to do it by excluding things I've worked on because my actual answer would be something I've worked on because I, I am very passionate about the books I've worked on. Um, I like, I like really grow to love them. And I mean, even if I, it <laughs> sounds weird to say grow to love them. I, I love them all the way through. So, but let's, I feel like you want me to say as a fan, right? Um, so I'm going to go with, uh, mm-hmm. I'm going to go with, actually, I, I have multiple answers. So you asked about X-Men specifically. Mm-hmm. Then I guess I have to say Grant Morrison's X Men, New X Men. <clears throat> um, if it if it widens out to like X Ben related, then it's a million percent Excalibur um, from the beginning of the the first series through the time when Alan Davis left for the second time. Um, that that series i love more than any other thing mutant related in any comic ever but uh if we're just talking about x-men itself it's grant morrison and the reason it's grant morrison is because um that's the one that got me to read x-men on a regular basis um i read excalibur when i discovered it as it was coming out um not starting from issue one but starting from issue like i don't know 30 something um and then I went back and collected all the old ones, but i didn't that didn't transfer into getting me into reading the x books as a line in fact I remember when um when Alan Davis did leave excalibur for the second time. I don't remember with what issue maybe sixty something maybe seventy something uh it was a little bit before it was a little bit before maybe i don't know one of the one of the big crossovers what what I was going to say was they said when he was leaving, they were like, oh, we're going to get Excalibur to tie more into the X-Men universe. And I was like, oh, that's great. I remember that time as a fan. Yeah. Yep. I was so excited. And then when it actually happened, I was like, oh, like that really meant making Excalibur less unique and more like the other X-Books that I don't really read that often. So I was kind of bummed. And But I would read any comic you put in front of me. So I would pop into an X-Book once in a while, just like, oh, that looks neat. Let's try it. And that kind of continued... For a while, um, when I fell out of comics entirely, which wasn't for that much of my life, but for a small period of time when I was in college, um, I didn't really read any X books, obviously because I didn't read anything. But when I came back, because X Men wasn't my big thing, like it was much more Spider Man and, and and other stuff, that they, I didn't gravitate back to them. Um, people talking about how good Grant's Run was right when the first trade came out. Uh, got me to go, oh, I'll I'll check out that trade. And I loved it. And that's when I started buying all the X books as they came out across the whole line.
1: Now, if you did change your answer to a book you've worked on, do you have a favorite of all time?
2: <sighs> Jeez. Okay. Um, I mean, that'd be tough. There's a couple of real good standouts uh, of, of X-Men. Um, I, I mean, here's the thing. What we're doing right now is absolutely one of them. Like I, what we're doing right now is so great. And I love everything about it.
1: amazing, yeah.
2: Like I loved everything that Jonathan did. I really love everything Jerry's doing on X-Men as well. Like, I mean, the thing is right now, I think of the whole line as a thing. There are books that are, you know, turn out better than others sometimes, but (laughs) it's it's such a big thing that I, in my head, it's one thing. So it would be hard to go. My favorite one is just what Jonathan wrote or just what Jerry wrote or anything like that. It's all of it. Before this, uh, it probably would have been and this is kind of crazy to say, but it probably would have been Kieran's Uncanny X-Men run, especially mm. the the post-schism run of it. Yeah, yeah. Um, I was uh, in the lead up to Schism. I was real aggravated at Cyclops. <laughs> I was not a Cyclops was right guy. I was a, I think it's messed up that uh that cyclops is saying like he wants to train these children as soldiers all the time and and i get they're 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 endangered and all this stuff but like i don't know i felt like i didn't like his reaction i didn't like the direction he was going and um so when
3: cyclops he's the character it's where they're you also got to remember this is the point where disney was taking over Marvel and they didn't get X-Men so they were making Cyclops a villain
2: look at that's (laughs) false man I was there I'm I'm telling you I worked on this book
3: (laughs) (laughs) we did not get we did not get marching orders. hey make X-Men suck like that didn't happen (laughs) and why was it chosen for him to go that route where he was going from like such a leader of mutant kind where suddenly he was just (laughs) i he was unhinged I think, honestly, I think it's a
2: natural progression. It's just one that I couldn't go with with him. And, you know, in the sense that, um, okay, so you've got, ended Grant Morrison's run, which I lo- again, I love. And I love how kind of messed up Grant Morrison's run is. And, and one of the things I'll say, I love, uh, this is going to sound messed up and don't take this as anything to do with my personal life because it's not. But I love that Cyclops cheats on his wife. And I, I know that's messed up. But I love it because I love flawed characters. Like, I love that he's sitting there like he is good and he is a good guy and he is like the X-Man, right? But then he goes and he cheats on his wife and it's like, what are you freaking (laughs) doing, man? Um, And I love how messed up it is that at the end of the run, Gene has to go, in order to save the X-Men, I have to have him end up with Emma. Like, that's messed up, but it's fascinating and, and interesting. And I, again, I have grown to like Emma and back then I was not a fan because I was very much of the of the opinion that she's a bad guy, man. She is a bad guy and she's a bad influence on Scott. And I, I think she was a bad influence on Scott. I think that he got darker the longer he was with her. Um,
3: Can I just and, counter? Sorry. Please, of course. Somebody who's on the other side of it. I've always seen Jean the one that was low-key cucking. So I- <laughs> well, yes oh, uh, much like um, Cycl- um uh, Professor X, always kind of infantilized Psych, where like he was always secondary. Emma kind of was like, you know what? You should be in charge. You're the best at doing this. This is the person you can be. I don't know. I always saw her as a positive influence, but also she's a huge gay icon, so. Yes, of course. And, and again, <laughs> like I said, I, I
2: don't hate Emma. I, well, I don't think I ever, did I ever hate her? No. I like her a lot now, mostly from, again, from working on books where people just made her so awesome and made me love her. Um, but, but again, I, I would, I, I totally see where you're coming from with that because you're right. Like she did kind of push him to to stand on his own and be, uh, you know, powerful and be the mutant revolutionary that he became. But I also would say that in my opinion, he got darker the longer they, the longer they were together. And that in doing that standing up thing, he, he didn't, now again, he was also up against really dark forces. We were, t- we're talking about they were that, That's when the mutants literally became an endangered species, and for a while they were kept in a little pen in 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 Westchester or whatever, and messed up stuff was happening. So I understand it's a reaction to dark stuff. Anyway, where I was going with this, all of that was all of this was set up. I told you I was going to go on digressions. Where I was going with all this was schism happened. I was firmly on Wolverine's side. I was firmly on Wolverine's side, and I love Wolverine and the X Men as a book as well. I really do. But I also, like I said, I I like flawed characters. And I I think the reason I now have come around to really thinking like back so fondly on that Uncanny X-Men run is at the time when we, when we were making it, I would say things to Kieran and Kieran would kind of go, yeah, I would say to him, it's called Uncanny X-Men, but it's kind of a Brotherhood of Mutants book. (laughs) It's kind of what it is. Like there's that scene in issue one, I think, and I can't remember if it's, in the affirmative or the negative where I think Storm is like like raise your hand if you haven't gone evil. Oh, that was and like crazy. she's the only one who raises her <laughs> hand. Or-
3: <laughs> Cyclops <laughs> raises to raise his hand she's like are you sure
1: <laughs> we just we just referenced that scene on the podcast a couple weeks ago. And we I we're love like it. Storm's still the only one who's not evil.
2: <laughs> but um but but again I, I I think the reason I was so against Cyclops is at the time when those books were coming out, I felt I felt more strongly as a reader that what I wanted was heroes being heroes. And I didn't want, again, I like flawed characters, but I wanted flawed characters who are doing the right thing. Who I felt like we doing the right thing. And I don't always feel like Scott was doing the right thing. Yeah. Um, but now I look back on that book and I love it because I love this group of really complicated, messed up characters. And it, it, I mean, here's the thing. That's a lot of what we do now, right? <laughs> like, We have some of our X books that are more straightforward than others and are like X-Men right now. uh, In uh, in my opinion, hopefully y'all will agree uh, is a book about mutant heroes is about Cyclops putting together a team going, what we do is we go out and we help people. That's end of the story. Um, But a lot of the Krakoa oriented books, especially are very complicated and are very much, is this right? And it's like, Kind of. Depends how you look at it. Like the outcome is right. Was the getting there right? Maybe. It's hard to justify. It's unclear. There's,
1: a, there's an interesting thematic shift that's taking place. And we've been talking about this recently. We review the old books, but we're still talking with creators about the current continuity, obviously. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we've seen so many characters go so dark and they need to be redeemed. The Scarlet Witch, Bishop hunting down hope across the timelines. Uh, Cyclops leading the mutant army, Professor X lying and being so, so awful, Beast running the CIA, basically, at this point, there's so many examples of characters going dark, and there's so many redemption arcs happening. And I think when you're playing in a field like this, you have these characters who have been handled by so many people over so much time, uh, that we find ways to keep investing in them. Uh, I remember Brian Michael Bendis, uh, his run on Daredevil was really influential for me. And he's like, I have to keep finding new ways to break this character down into pieces because <laughs> that's what people care about the most. Yeah. Uh, but we're seeing a narrative change now happening, I think, in a lot of the books as well. So uh, if you want to talk about that, Jordan, but I, uh, let me... Well, it's, and- it's interesting.
2: I, I, I like what you're talking about because I agree. But uh, it's interesting. I'm, so I'm, I'm, I've been in, in the industry for 14 years now and I've been a reader of comics for way longer. Mm-hmm. Like as a... There have been times in my, both in my career and in my time as a reader, like I have thought characters were irredeemable. And I don't know that I have ever been right. <laughs> By which i like, I think people have always pleasantly surprised me. I mean, I'm one of those folks who I was just a reader when civil war was happening, but I was definitely one of those folks going, how are we ever going to get behind iron man as a hero again? Right. How is that going to be possible? And guess what? It's possible. It's fine. He's fine. <laughs> yeah. If you're reading Christopher Cantwell's book
1: right now, it's amazing. Yeah. Yeah.
2: It's a great book. They, there's been a bunch of great runs since then. Um, honestly, I, I feel like Matt Fraction's run did a lot of great work. I mean, just the, the movie did a lot, of, sure, sure. a lot of work for that as well. Professor X has been on that list. Cyclops has been on that list. Here's an interesting thing that I don't know that uh, maybe I, I want to say, I don't know that I hear people saying this and it's either because they, a don't notice or B we did a bad job making it clear. Yeah. Um, <laughs> either one is totally possible. I think Cyclops, I think to me the reason he has turned around as a character and again, I don't want to make it sound like there were no good stories about with Cyclops for for 20 years. That's not true. Like he did, there's been great Cyclops stories. But the way he fully turned back around to what I now feel like is fully redeemed um is that uh, oh, sorry, and I, I, only, I just want to pause to say I know I'm pissing off so many Cyclops fans By even saying he needed to be redeemed <laughs> I understand he was right the whole time But I didn't see it that way But now I'm fully on board with him So maybe this is just what brought me around But to me, the thing that made the difference Was This is going to be scandalous What Beast did That Beast brought those kids from the past And I know that's messed up to say But the change came in Cyclops When he got young Scott's memories Back when he came back from the dead and remembered everything that young Scott had experienced as well, that represented a change in him as a character that brought him back from the, the edge, That's I feel.
1: Fascinating. Fascinating. And we've reviewed those books uh, because we're covering the original characters. So we covered the time travel run. That's hilarious. Uh, yeah. Brilliant, brilliant. Um, my, my favorite thing to bring up on the podcast with people is maybe the weirdest thing at X-Men continuity is Angel came to the future. He passed through the black vortex and got his fire wings. But before they sent him back to the past, they cut off his wings and gave him mimic wings. So when he came back, he had mimic wings. And then later he meets Mimic who adapts his own wings off of Angel's back. Fucking brilliant.
2: That is definitely a who wrote Shakespeare's plays kind of paradox going on there. That's great. I love it.
1: There's one of those ridiculous overlooked moments in the X-Men continuity, I think. Uh, That's the next question I have for you, Jordan, is the X-Men come from the 1960s. And when Stan and Jack were creating books back then, Fantastic Four, obviously, starting a new trend, they were appealing to readers of a different kind, right? Spider-Man appealed to the people who were the nerds that didn't fit in a lot of ways. Uh, Daredevil was blind. There's these different types of heroes. Iron, Iron Man had flaws. The X-Men have, over the years, overwhelmingly appeared to or appealed to readers who don't fit. I mean, we have a lot of people who just love the action adventure, right? He shoots lasers out of his eyes and here's claws. But we also have this book that's become a home for queer people, for minorities, for women, for trans people, for people who don't fit into the wider structure. And the, obviously, the narrative has changed from the 60s on. But what is it about these books that uh, that
2: creates this place of
1: safety for people who don't
2: fit well uh first i mean i i, I don't know that i don't know that the 60s books did that <laughs> really like i mean well i mean you you're reading them and you're talking about them so i i hope i'm not uh uh th- i assume that you recognize that they are not great books <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah let me let
1: me let me interject here very quickly sure as we're reading the '60s books, we get moments like Angel having to hide his wings under his clothes in order to mm-hmm, go out mm-hmm. in public. We get the Sentinels, where the humans are creating mobs and forming people that to go after one. these who 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 don't fit. Right. So I do think there's there's a lot of problems in the early books, but but those narratives are actually very
2: strongly established. I mean, they I'm are. Sure. I guess I just meant I, I don't think it was necessarily resonating with the audience, hence it getting canceled constantly and oh, having to change yeah. direction on a dime like fifty times. I mean. Th- I, so I, I didn't read these, the sixties books uh, as a fan um, because, well, honestly, because again, as a fan, people were like, eh, you don't have to, <laughs> like, I read the Claremont stuff because, and that's where I think that stuff really enters into the, the I mean, that's where the book took off, obviously, but I think also it took, they made a conscious effort to get away from uh, five well-to-do white kids in Westchester County and went international, went multiracial, gave a diverse background. And also meanwhile, Claremont um, coming in. And I don't mean this in an offensive way to the folks who wrote before Claremont, because I mean, obviously the sixties were the sixties, but a lot of people did a lot of stuff in between, but he came in with some of the best written women characters ever in Marvel comics history. So I think it, Made a place for people to see uh, themselves in the books in a way that they hadn't before. And to this day I, I think that that is um, really effective. I mean X-Men fans are incredibly passionate. and that's why I mean again, I, I joke about X-Men fans getting mad at me and I, I know they they do it all the time, but it's because they are so passionate about the books. and I think part of the reason for that is because because of the combination of the metaphor, that you're talking about that that is prevalent in the entire series and the the actual diversity of the the zillion of characters in the x-men orbit um i think that people's love of x-men gets very uh intertwined with their identity and so it isn't it doesn't feel like it's just a, a, a series of comics that they're reading it feels like this is a thing that speaks to me and and who i am and uh, and what, what I believe about who I am, and so, yeah, it generates some real intense passion. Um, almost, and I think that's amazing.
1: Uh, almost everyone we've interviewed who is straight, when I ask them who their favorite X Men character is, it's Cyclops or Wolverine. And when I ask someone who's queer. They'll say you know Rogue because yep. like she couldn't touch anybody, or they they, they find this like passion, or Nightcrawler because he looked different. He had to learn to love himself anyway. And there's a depth of answer there that's fascinating, uh, given the 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 character experience we go through in our upbringings. You know.
2: Oh well, I mean, mine is well, mine was Kitty, but I, that's because again, when I when I started reading Excalibur, she was a older woman who I fell in love with. And now she is not even half my age. So she probably
3: is. Maybe she's probably half my age by now.
1: When our crushes age slower than us. Mike, do you have a favorite?
3: Oh, hands down, um, Rogue, for all the reasons you said, you gotta remember when I first got introduced to the X-Men, it was through the cartoon first. Mm -hmm. And we didn't have openly queer characters. On television, uh, I think the first one really was uh, my so called life, which came I think three to oh, yeah. it was later. Um, 92 versus I think he came on 95, maybe. So, we didn't have anyone that was gay, we had the X Men, we had Rogue. It was always so charming. Gambit was such a slut until he met Rogue, <laughs> and he was willing to pretty much be celibate for her. That means something. I mean, I know he gets a lot of because he can be, you know. <laughs> you know, Gambit But I don't know, I always found that so chivalrous of him. He put a ring on it now, it's okay he did. I love that, <laughs> I thought that was great It was. I love that too, because I honestly didn't care about Kitty and Colossus' wedding So all of a sudden it was like, just kidding It's Rogan Gambit's wedding Oh,
2: I cared, but in oh. the opposite way In the way that I was like, this better not happen
3: <laughs> <laughs> I also love the whole scene where it's like The bridesmaids, and they're all like Oh, I'm sorry, go ahead, Heather Heather, did you I want
4: to know, share something? Laughing.
3: No, I was You're... just
2: laughing. Oh okay. oh, okay, okay, got it. Yeah. Well, You're breaking up a little bit. That
3: moment where it's like, who's going to be standing on Gambit's side and who's going to be on Rogue's? Everyone's over there, and Nightcrawler. It's like, well, I'm her brother. Also, I don't want to be on Gambit's team. And Iceman does the same thing. It's not because I'm gay. I just don't want to be on Gambit's team. She has to be like, you know, I'm marrying him, right? I can hear you. That's, <laughs> not, that's such a cute little moment. Of, like, we all want to be on Rogue's side. Jordan, are you able to give us a little bit of an
1: editorial understanding of the X-Men pre-Claremont? You talked a minute ago about the books getting canceled over and over again and how they're, you know, kind of failing to find their audience back then. And
2: a time when comics were really taking off, what happened? Um, Well, first of all, it's it's one of the things that i should say about that is that this was a very different time in publishing so it was it was failing and getting canceled and it probably sold better than almost anything we publish nowadays because again it was a, a totally different world that said it was also on the newsstand so back then they were they would have to print so like the, because they would had had returns from the newsstand so they would have to print a huge print run because they knew like i don't know 40 50% of it was going to get returned and pulped um so, so print runs were huge, um, but it was what mattered was that return rate and stuff like that. Um, I know that they were struggling. I mean, you're not at the place where it gets most obvious yet, but there's a, pl- a point, I don't remember what issues, there's a point at maybe 10, 20 issues from where you are now that y- if, you, if you've already read them, you already know this, but if you haven't, you'll see. Um, your head will spin because they literally are like setting up a new premise for the book every issue mm-hmm. because they are literally going... Oh, that didn't work. Well, let's try another thing. And they, and, and, they they start,
1: try. and they start running flashbacks at the end of every episode or every, 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 issue. Yeah.
2: Well, there's, there's an issue again, spoilers listeners, but there's an issue for spoilers for a book from <laughs> so many decades ago, but there's an issue where uh, Cyclops and Gene are undercover uh, because the FBI has told them to stop being X-Men and take new identities and Cyclops becomes a radio DJ and, and Gene becomes a, <laughs> A model and like that's the status quo for one issue and they meant it to be the thing that the book was about now but it did not work and so the next issue or the next and the next time you see them especially that is just not a thing anymore it's just like no don't worry about it we're, we're, we're trying this now we're trying this now and it becomes super clear that they are frantic um Nowadays, things work incredibly differently. Like, I mean, first of all, the book would just be canceled if it was canceled. Like they wouldn't go change everything about it and keep it going. Because as you are aware, as you're, you read comics, we don't, the, the idea of keeping the the single numbering going is not as big of a thing anymore. Like, No,
1: yeah, it hasn't been for years. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: So so if a book is not working, they would just cancel it and bring up, do a new book. Um, But we also wouldn't do it, for one issue like that would, <laughs> I don't know it would just be bananas I can't even imagine it
1: uh, No brilliant brilliant I uh, I think the um, The idea of X fans that you're talking About who are so passionate About certain characters and certain Storylines what are in your opinion The best and the worst kind of X fans Oh gee
2: whiz um, you, 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 You're trying to get me in trouble now <laughs> Well uh, uh, <laughs> No offense to what happened earlier, Mike. I promise you I'm not calling you out because this is a very common thing. <laughs> but the thing that always gets me is that when people are talking about the books, um, they talk about, well, here's why the book is what it is. And I'm always sitting there going, they, they, they're they wrong. Like, I mean, this is, right now this is happening a ton. With everybody going, well, the reason Jonathan left is because blah, blah, blah. And the reason Inferno 4 ended the way it did was because they didn't give him the time to do this. Way. And none of those things are correct. Like, you, I you, people can like books, people cannot like books. Like, I hope that people like our books because I'm proud of them. But I understand that not every book I make is for everybody. And not every book, like, we try to make books that are diverse so that there is something for, for everyone, if possible. But, um, of course, the book that is my favorite book I'm working on, people are not going to like some people. That's fine, but to like the, this impulse to to make up a behind the seat. Well, here's the narrative on why the book turned out in a way I don't like. I'm not immune to it. Um, it's it's like we want to do that. Like I, I was just I so <laughs> I'm going to say this it's embarrassing because it's, it's tr- trash media that I'm about to admit to in- engaging in. <laughs> I read the book angels and demons. <laughs> okay. <Sorry. laughs> I know, but listen, I I agree. I know it's not great. It wasn't a great book, but I wanted to check it out. I wanted to see what it was all about. Um, it had an interesting plot. It had a lot of dumb stuff. I'm not going to get into that. But then uh, I watched the movie because I went, well, I read the book. Let's watch this movie. And I watched the movie. And definitely in my head, I have written a narrative of, oh, well, they had to change the movie from the book because blah 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 blah. And I know that's not true, but it's it's very satisfying to think that. Like, oh, well, they had to do that because no one would believe this thing on if it's on screen, which is get you can get away with it. And that's just me making an educated guess. But I'm certainly not going to say like that's what happened. And I feel like so much of fandom is that's what happened. It just is it, someone theorizes it on the internet and it's a compelling read of, of the work and people go, I'll just accept that as canon now. And it's like, no, it's not, it's not a fact. It's not a fact. It's even hard. Like if, if the creators say something, it's, it doesn't even necessarily always mean it's true, but like, at least that's closer to true. Whereas like, I don't know. I I feel like there's so much theorizing anyway. What are the, what are the fans that I love? I love the fans who just are passionate about stories and want to talk about them and talk about what's fun about them. That's why I like doing podcasts with folks because folks like yourselves, who love x books and just want to talk about the thing that they love. That That's what I want to do all the time. And I'm fortunate that I get paid to do that to some extent. So there you are. Um, yeah, are you, it's, it's just a blast. That's, hey, that's why I, I miss going to conventions. I, I don't like, like super big crowds, but I like going to conventions because I like talking to fans. I like when fans go like, oh, I want to talk about the thing you're making.
1: Like, I used fun. to teach uh, college and I feel like 90% of the students would say amazing job. And then there'd be like that 2% that'd be like, you shouldn't ever teach kindergartners. You're the worst, but the, you know, that I've ever seen. And I think you do have that variance in, in opinion. And we live in an age of social media where it's very easy for people to tag and post and, and steal photos and, and blast people. And I know there's probably a lot of unfortunate stuff that happens. Somebody sees a storyline they're upset about, and they get very passionate and very inflamed, and you see that type of thing on Twitter and Instagram all the time.
2: Uh, but but again, it's—I awesome. feel like it's this weird. But it, but it's the weird, for lack of a better term, like creator fan fiction that is just so strange because it gets everywhere. Like it gets into like reviews. Not that not that comic book reviewing is like, you know, this like huge professional medium or whatnot. It's, it's all done mostly by people who just want to do it, right? But like, you'll see this stuff gets in there. Like it, like you're saying. Teacher reviews. It would be like if somebody on the teaching review site was like, "Well, it makes sense that this guy's a lousy teacher. His parents were so mean to him." And it's like, "What are you? What? Where are you getting this from?" <laughs> <laughs> well, and then you get people
1: who are like, "Keep me entertained, but also don't do anything to fuck up my characters that I love." <laughs> and
0: also, yeah, 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 like
1: give airtime to everyone that I want. Like it's a, it's, it's an exhausting industry, I'm sure,
2: in a lot of ways. But I, but I, but again, I, I know that all of that is a side effect of love. It's not, it doesn't come from a a place of, I mean, there are people out there who it does come from hate. I'm not talking about them, but I I think the bulk of it um, really does come from loving the X-Men and loving what the stories can be and have been. Um, And I share that love, uh, both of X-Men, but also of like lots of different comic book characters. So like, I I get it. Um, At the end of the day, I'm a fan of comics. That's why I'm here. I would not be here otherwise, for sure. Mike and Heather, what questions do you have for Jordan?
3: Okay, uh, kind of going off that, because right up until now, I actually thought there was causation between the X-Men comic books and Marvel taking over. Now, there was other... You mean, do you mean Disney taking over? These, uh, thank you, thank you, thank you. Disney taking over. Um, there are also cited other things, like they stopped producing like X-Men action figures, stopped video uh, oh, sure. games. Now, was that... Uh, do you, I know that's not your end of it, but... Yeah. Was, a Disney thing, or is that just another correlation without causality? I,
2: I, I honestly, I can't speak to it like with with real authority uh, for those specifics because I really don't work on any of that stuff. Like, I, I'm not involved in it in any capacity. Um, that said, listen, I'm not going to sit here and say there, there were no, there's no, uh, anything. You know, what I'm okay, <laughs> <laughs> that's not true. Um, there are things that were done and decisions that were made in light of that knowledge. But the the general thing that is put forward is kind of what you said before is, is that, oh, like there was an effort made to like stymie the books and whatnot. And it's like there wasn't like and nobody ever came to us and said make Cyclops more of a bad guy. He he was a bad guy because, well, first of all, not not everyone agreed that he was a bad guy, even internally. Like Axel, who was editor in chief for a bunch of that time, Axel was 100% on Cyclops' side. Like, he was like,
3: no, he's making the right decisions. Um, so, <laughs> like... <laughs> I was on. You remember before that, post um, No More Mutants and all of that, I saw it also as a generational thing, because that's kind of um, when I started becoming an adult. It was the point where Magneto bounced out after, like, Wanda did that, Xavier bounced out. It all fell on the shoulders of Cyclops to not only take care of the team, but mutant kind. So, so I that's love that interesting Fisco stuff. I love that. Obviously it was that ham fisted Cyclops had a single vision, but he did get it though. He got hope through there. She survived. So it's one of those things that I saw him at his best. When I think of Cyclops, I think of the guy who just did what it took. So suddenly seeing when I saw the whole schism thing, I felt it was so arbitrary. It's like, Well, they went in one direction, and now let's have the two guys fight over Gene by ripping everyone else into it. It was just one of those things I was just like, oh. (laughs) Yeah, I I, I mean, I get what you're saying.
2: I get what you're saying. And I I, I think that's probably what is really good about that arc, is that people really did see it from different points of view. Like, from my point of view as a reader, because I was a reader, I I joined the X office at that time. I've been in the X-office like twice, I think, in my career. That was the first time, and it was as an assistant editor. And I joined it um, just very shortly before schism. I start the first uncanny X-Men book I worked on was during the was it called Contagion or was it called Quarantine? Oh, Quarantine. Uh, yeah, quarantine.
3: We did reread once we went to quarantine, I'm like, well, I get this now.
2: <laughs> yes. So that was when, that was the first arc I ever worked on. And it was just as an assistant editor, I came in like, as those books were getting ready to go to press. So I started there and I, and I, at, when I came into the office, they, they were already planning schism and they told me about it. And I was, I was really happy because again, before that, as a reader, I was like, I was teed off. I was like, these guys are not, again, again, at the time, I was very concerned about heroes being heroic. And I was very much like, these guys are not heroic. The X-Men don't help anyone. All they do is worry about their own problems and that's it. That's it. They go, I, we spent we spent years uh, uh, protecting those who hated and feared us, but now it's just, we have problems and we deal with them. Sorry, everybody else, like d- we'll get to you later. And I was so pissed off
3: okay see that from a (laughs) real perspective though we've had decades where we had to take care of ourselves because no one else was doing it it's what i love about the current um run that you guys are doing where they've realized huh we have more in common with magneto and apocalypse and sinister because we are all mutants than we do with the avengers at this point and that i find so beautiful how are we going to create a new progressive society with just us, with our rules, not letting the old guard dictate what we're gonna do. I love that so freaking much. Plus, they're all queer now. Was that a concern <laughs> of my first- <laughs> or is this- Wait, 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 hold on. Oh, you're going through so many things I want to comment sorry, on Sorry, you. sorry, sorry, sorry. <laughs> I, I have a lot, uh, I, cause there was a huge stretch. I didn't like the X-Men. I kept trying to get back into them. And then this came out and I was like, this is new, this is different. I like any time to get out of the school. Oh yeah, yeah. Like I think when they're in Australia. I liked when they were in San Francisco. I like them being on Krakoa. Me too. Well, me too, obviously. I, I love obviously. Krakoa. And
2: I, I I agree with you. And I think that's what I so a lot of people, uh not a lot of people, but there are folks who read Krakoa in the negative way that I read Utopia. And I think the difference is to me is that Krakoa really is a nation of people. It's not here are your favorite X-Men heroes just mm-hmm. thinking about themselves. Like it's, no, we founded a nation and it's to protect our people because our people are particularly um, oppressed and in need of this. Um, but that there's always the pivot for them of, but then there are heroes too and heroes do what heroes do. I guess my problem with Cyclops wasn't that mutants were looking out for themselves because of course, you have to look out for yourselves, but it's that these are the heroes these are the X-Men. They have always been billed as heroes. Is this no longer a book about them being superheroes? Is it really just a book about them solving their own problems? And I don't know. Again, I probably would go back and have a very different opinion on it now because I'm many years older and have gone through a lot and have changed a lot. So at some point, I probably should reread it and go like, oh. Um,
3: But again, go ahead. Oh, that was actually touched upon. Remember the first issue of House of M where they get all the X-Men and all the Avengers, and they're like, What are we gonna do about Wanda? Uh, there was some point where Emma's like, We're the X-Men, we deal uh with mutant threats. And then Kitty's like, We deal with threats to mutants, to which Emma's like, Kitty, we do both. And it kind of encapsulates that. How do you see what the X-Men are between two X-Men? But 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 actually, but here's the thing, but
2: that that exchange you you, there's a third kind of thing that the x-men do which is deal with threats to not
0: mutants
2: (laughs) (laughs) like they also are just good and heroic and like they don't have to center their heroic goods on mutant status you know what i'm saying if there's a thing that is bad and it's going to hurt people they are good so they go i will stop the bad thing um and again there's room for all kinds that's why like i said in this era I love that we have that and we don't have that at the same time. Like there are a million books right now that are dealing with mutants, dealing with mutant problems. Mm-hmm. Um, but we also do have the X-Men, literally Scott saying, I'm not going to wait for the council to tell me whether I can solve a problem. If there's something bad going down, I'm going to do it, deal with it because that's what I do. I am a, a, an X-Men. <laughs> um, anyway. Th- so th- I do think that there's room for both. Um I also agree with you about the school. It's really fascinating because for a long time, I thought I love the school. I love when the book goes back to school. Why? Well, because I've loved books that have the school. I, I, like I said, I love Grant's X-Men. That was the book that made me read X-Men on a regular basis. I loved um, Academy X. I thought it was a really good book. I love Wolverine and the X-Men, um, which was another school book. That said, like the longer I really ruminate on X-Men and I think about what makes X-Men X-Men, the more I go, yeah, it's not the school at all. Like the the the, the, the most classic X-Men was stuff where the school was bullshit. Like it was fake. I mean, in the 60s, it was kind of real, but not really because they didn't... Was in a while he goes, yeah, I remember when I had you read the classics? That's a thing cool. I did. Um, <laughs> but mostly it's them going... Learn how to punch right. Um, so it's just bullshit. And then, in the in the all new all different era, it it's just a place where they fucking live. Like it's like is it a school? No, it's just where they are. And uh, all the stuff when they go go back, I don't know. i, I in, the, in the, now, the more I think about the books where it's like the X-Men are now the teachers and there's a big group of students, the more I'm like, that doesn't actually feel like. X Men to me, it, it's a thing the movies really brought in, right? Because that's, I, th- I mean, as far as I can tell, that really came from oh, the yeah. X Men movie. Um, much like, a, there's a couple of weird things like that, like the Magneto helmet thing. I didn't realize that came from the movie that his helmet stops telepathy. Uh,
3: that came from Ultimate X Men. Did it? Come... A lot of the movies took from Ultimate X Men and made it mainstream. But wait, did Ultimate X Men come out before the movies? Oh, oh. I... That's a good question. Which I'm not 100 no. sure on
2: that one. I don't exactly. think so. So
3: Ultimate X Men got that from the movies.
2: Yes. Okay. Uh, and and also they stole it from Juggernaut.
3: Yeah. <laughs> who already had that established. <laughs>
2: um, but but yeah, but the more, the more I'm like, yeah, I don't I don't know. Like again, especially if you look back on um, All New All Different. Like I said, I was talking to uh, my former assistant, Annalise Bissa, who is now an associate editor over in the Avengers office. Um, we were talking about the X Men and what makes them work and what they're all about and we hit on uh, it, it's it's not a, it's not about school in the in the sense that it pretended to be in the 60s if anything it's about college because college is where you go and you meet a more diverse group of people and you form your own family your chosen family and you bond together and you, you in one like common goal, like it's much more like that college community. um, Can I speak
1: to that briefly, Jordan? Please, of course. I think we've talked about this on the podcast a few times. The reason we're calling this podcast Craybock and Lane is for queer people and trans people, there is a long history of not only having to leave behind what you grew up in because you couldn't be yourself, but you are sometimes ultimately rejected or cast out. So that Mm. idea of found family is more than just going to college and finding it's like I have to go somewhere else in order to create family. And so for me as a queer person, that's what it's always represented to me. Here is this group of people. But we're talking about the school concept where initially it's like, here's the only place you're safe and we have to teach you to protect yourself. Whereas Krakoa now represents a time when you are safe everywhere. We're going to create safety around you because you matter. And it yeah. that, that thematic shift that Jonathan Hickman's put in place and that you've backed is, has been Really profound for a lot of queer readers, I think.
2: Well, I'm, I'm happy to hear that. I, I I agree, and I've been really happy with the response. I know, again, I know there are some folks who disagree with that and and don't feel like it represents that. And I I've I've been kind of sad to see that. But again, I, there's always going to be disagreement on on interpretation of these things. I I subscribe to that very much so, and I'm very happy that it has landed so well for so many people.
1: Yeah, uh, uh, Mike, a minute ago referenced the number of queer characters on Krakoa. How everybody's turning a little gay now? Oh. Do you want to comment on that? <laughs>
2: um, no, I don't know what I could say about that. Uh, there, there certainly are more than there have been in the past, for certain. And uh, I mean, I think that obviously represents a, a, a hopefully a, a growth in the right direction uh, among culture, among all of culture, and uh, and uh, and the entertainment industry as a whole. Fingers crossed.
1: Yeah. I mean, just 20 years ago, it was still kind of taboo to reveal someone as queer or gay because it might make the straight readers uncomfortable. But now we're seeing a much more inclusive time where where you got to deal with it. If you don't like it, it's okay. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, what a brilliant conversation. I love that we can gather this group of like educated professionals and like really, really dig in and be passionate about things. Uh, Heather, did you want to ask Jordan any questions before we, uh, move into our issue review?
4: No, I've just been enjoying listening to the conversation, but I don't have a whole lot to add to it.
1: (laughs) So Jordan, as a fan, thank you for all of the incredible work you're doing on books. Uh, there is such a diverse line of books right now, everything from Uh, you know fairies and Excalibur to mutant assassins and X-Force and everything in between Uh, Hellions has been my favorite book of the new run I'm so sad to see it end uh, but there's so many good things happening and I'm really really pumped for Immortal X-Men which I know I've read a lot of Kieran Gillen books over the years I know it's going to be just uh, jaw-dropping incredible is there anything you are really excited about right now
2: well getting Kieran back into the X-Office was absolutely a goal we've been T- like trying to talk to him into it for a long time, and I'm so thrilled that it finally has happened. Um, I, I, everything is really exciting. I, I I love working with Karen. I love working with Jerry. I love working with Al Al Ewing. Um, I thought Sword was awesome, and X Men Red is going to be even better. Um, uh, but but again, everybody's doing great work. Um, also, you guys mentioned the um, the animated series earlier. I'm really excited about X Men '92 coming yeah. out. House of House of '92 as we heard. Calling it. Um, we're super thrilled. That was an idea I had because it's the anniversary of the uh, animated series. And we said, let's do a series to celebrate that. And I suggested to, to Steve Fox, what if we try to adapt all of the Krakoan era as though it was, uh, uh, you know, a, 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 a storyline that could be done in, uh, on the show? And uh, he has done an amazing job with it. He's come up with some amazing, awesome twists.
1: What if Krakoa happened in a world before Ellen DeGeneres has come out? <laughs>
2: <laughs> That's true. That's very true. Brilliant. The 90s was a, was, a, was a weird time for X-Men comics. So hopefully we'll capture a little bit of that in this.
1: There's, uh, there's so many incredible things happening. It's a good time to be an X-Men fan. So, yeah, Jordan, thank you for answering all of our questions. My um, pleasure. With that, let's delve into our issue review for today. We are reviewing X-Men number 33. Uh, just kind of as we start, uh, let's give our reactions to the cover. Now, I'm not as sure how accurate this is, but in my research on this cover, there's a character that appears in this issue called Zorak, who is a bizarre little kind of green-headed alien guy. We'll talk about him in a little while. And my understanding is he was originally supposed to appear on this cover in giant-sized form, but because of the Comics Code Authority, they thought he was too scary. So they had him. Re- so they had him replaced with the Juggernaut. So if you look at the cover of X Men Thirty Three, we get a giant issue of uh, or, or a giant version of uh, a Juggernaut. I know uh, Jordan. I think you're only our only straight guy here, but Heather also likes girls. So you guys like giant jugs, right there on the <laughs> cover uh-huh. <laughs> with the uh, with the X Men fighting. him. what what were you guys' thoughts on this uh, this cover here?
3: I feel like we've seen this a million times before though isn't this an archetype where you got the giant oversized villain and everyone falling in his clutches and the floating heads along the side yeah, the
2: floating heads <laughs> oh for sure i mean it's hard. it's the one thing is hard to tell is was it was it a, as common of a thing back then and i don't know the answer to that oh yeah i'm looking at the i'm looking at the inks to the unused cover it's it's kind of different but it's it's similar it looks really weird
1: yeah, yeah. The, I mean, the whole Zorak character is bizarre anyway, but yes, we oh, did yeah. see this this as a common trope with the giant villain back then. Uh, Heather, what were your thoughts here?
4: Um, I mean, I kind of felt the same, but I thought it was a little bit weird, because usually they either have, like, the giant villain and the floating heads, or the giant villain and the X-Men fighting them, mm. and here they have both, and I'm not yeah. entirely sure that it works because the floating heads on the side look like the opening credits to the Brady Bunch.
0: Well,
2: you know what? <laughs> the, the 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 original cover actually does make some sense of that because I just noticed that in addition to swapping Juggernaut, they also swapped who's fighting him. Mm-hmm. On the original cover, it's Cyclops and Jean, which is actually a thing that literally happens. They yes. fight a giant Zorak. Yeah. I'm surprised that they took the time to change them though. Like, because like, it, I guess they were that concerned with that. Well, they don't fight juggernaut, so that wouldn't make sense. But it, it would have been fine. It's a cover.
1: This whole <laughs> issue is weird, and we we kind of see it like Iceman. I mean, uh, apologies, but kind of like prematurely ejaculating.
3: <laughs> <laughs> I want to say, look at the cakes on Angel for a Waspy Boy. <laughs> they, they go glutes. <laughs> I it's I will say
2: of a back there. <laughs> I I am not a fan. Is this Roth is drawing this?
1: Yeah, it's uh, Werner Roth.
2: I, I am not a fan of the way he draws Cyclops's visor. It bugs the crap out of me most of the time when he draws it. It just looks so bad. I just, I just don't like the way he draws it.
1: It's very big. It's very, uh, it's very wide. Um, as we open the issue, uh, I'm just going to read the credits quickly because they're always a good time. It says a capricious compendium of Mighty Marvel milestones. Never has Stanley edited a more since. since- Senses staggering saga. Never has Roy Thomas and Werner Roth co produced a more mass, uh, goodness, a more mind staggering masterpiece. Never has John Tartaglione delineated a more earth shaking epic. And never has San Rosen learned to spell (laughs) Citrack, which is fantastic. As we open the book, we see Juggernaut stomping away from the mansion uh, as he leaves the last issue. He's off to find a plane so that he can join the mysterious Factor Three in Europe, but the military is waiting for him. This is a very Hulk-like battle as he kind of just smashes some clips down on top. He shrugs, shrugs off some missiles. Uh, they are they are not going to stand a chance against the unstoppable juggernaut. Did you guys have any thoughts on these opening pages?
3: I, I was thinking the exact same thing. When he double-fists the ground, I'm like, that's Hulk. <laughs> it has pure Hulk right there. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know... He... It is absolutely
2: very Hulk. Is, is, they, they, is he already, is he start talking about his force field? He keeps talking about a force field in this issue, which yep. I, I don't think of Juggernaut as having force field powers. Like a part of me was like, did they confuse it with Eunice? But I guess like kind of he does.
1: Well, back in, back, back in his original appearance, they make a big deal out of that. In X-Men 13, he's got this like force field, just kind of repelling everything off of him. Nobody can break through it. So uh, it's very kind of Eunice the untouchable in a lot of ways, frankly.
2: Now, like yeah, nowadays for many, many years, I feel like it's just been like, no, he's he's like magically invulnerable. It, mm-hmm. It's not a force field. It's just him,
1: yeah, Sidorak uh, must have changed his powers around a little bit after this issue. He's also got the, he's also got the powers of Professor X here., uh, so he's able to read minds in this moment, which he doesn't really read wait.
2: very well. <laughs> How does he do that? What?
1: At the end of last issue, when the machine exploded, he got Professor X's telepathy downloaded
2: into his brain. Uh, and we see it loosely referenced in this issue, but it does he doesn't really do much with it. Well, he's got, well, again, I don't think they've established it. He's got the helmet that stops telepathy, so it shouldn't do anything. Yeah. <laughs> when we go back into the basement,
1: the X-Men have gotten Professor X into bed because he's always so very helpless. <laughs> and they... Uh, They put what they call a mental wave amplifier on his brain, which is supposed to project the thoughts from his unconscious. Now, Jean Grey wears this. She does not know she's a telepath at this point, but she's able to scan his brain and see some events from the distant past that he must have read from Juggernaut's connection to (laughs) Sidorak It's a very bizarre connection.
3: Uh, Somebody who's not there
1: (laughs) (laughs) From hundreds of years ago. Heather, I always yeah. like to ask you, do you uh would you have use for a mental wave amplifier in your home?
4: Um I mean maybe, but I right now in my if we're talking about in my home, I only live with my brother and so it doesn't I don't really need to get into people's subconscious.
1: You don't want to download his memories.
4: <laughs> I was there for most of them. So. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Jordan, what were you just going to say? Well, I, I i was still hung up on this chain of memory Because like, okay She's getting it from Professor X Who got it from Juggernaut Who got it from, question mark Sidorak, I guess Except Sidorak's not there So is he watching it through the gem? So this is the memory of a gem?
1: So for a couple of issues Professor X has kept Juggernaut Locked behind a big oak door in the basement He's oh, in yeah. a coma yeah. in chains And Professor X two issues ago in number 31 was experimenting on mice while he built a device, which we see last issue to be (laughs) some sort of device where he's looking to interface into the crimson cosmos Uh, and block Juggernaut's powers so that Sidorak can no longer control him. So something about all of this (laughs) resulted in him downloading these memories from the Ancient One fighting Zorak hundreds of years ago.
2: Right, it's just not even Sidorak is there. Like, there's a missing link in this chain. (laughs) 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 It's bizarre.
3: (laughs) Uh, So So we see a lot of technology in this room. Uh, They have to check his pulse, later you see Angel. Beast doesn't do any of the smart guy things no. in the issue, he doesn't deal with any of the technology. He doesn't, he's not even the one checking his pulse. It's just so weird that, like, you have a genius here, he doesn't do anything genius like. Yeah,
1: I'm kind of like, digging Jean in her little mento, you know, amplifier hat, though. I think it's a good look for her.
3: <laughs>
1: Bring it back.
4: I Heather. do you think it's funny how often, or what were you gonna say, Chad? Oh, go ahead. Oh, I. This might go along with what you're going to ask me. Knowing the questions that you ask me, um, I do think it's funny how there are multiple times and multiple characters in this issue who call Gene Gal, <laughs> and that is probably one of the most like non-intuitive things to call a woman. Like it feels so clunky. Like because Bobby goes, "Gene, what is it, Gal? What are you here?" And I mean, girl wouldn't be much better But like, gal just feels so Unnatural And so I think it's funny that multiple characters Use it in multiple instances In one issue where I can't think of Another time that anyone calls her gal
2: I wonder if it was real If people used that, or if it's just The comic writers being Awkward I don't know Uh,
1: We will never climb so low as when Beast called her wench a few issues back (laughs) Uh, Heather, do you want to tell us what happens in uh, in the memories on page four?
4: Yes, um, an individual, a young mystic, um, who apparently, if someone doesn't recognize the ancient one as a young man from a different issue of something, they lose one turn. So you know. <laughs> so.
2: I mean, he does. He does kind of look like young Xavier, doesn't he?
4: That's mm-hmm. actually what I thought the very, th- whenever I, I first saw him. Like,
3: you know, uh, why does he look like Raiden? <laughs>
4: <laughs> yeah, so this young mystic, the ancient one, when he was not so ancient apparently, um, he is going through and he's going to the shrine of Sidorak and he sees the ruby of the crimson bands and then without warning. The monster, how do you say his name?
3: Zorak? Zorak, Zorak. Um, space ghost. What okay. That? <laughs> That's the first thing that popped in my head too. Oh
2: yeah, oh yeah.
4: <laughs> so Zorak is the guardian of Sidorak's temple. And so they begin to fight. And, but then the ancient one beats him and traps him into... The sacred ruby
2: there's a there's a definitely a, a a classic uh comics were made very differently back in the day kind of thing where uh he talks about using the crimson bands on him and they are bright yellow
3: <laughs> <laughs> the just didn't know um...
1: the uh for for our modern listeners if you've seen the doctor strange movie the ancient one is uh tilda swinton's character <laughs> So, so Tilda Swinton's fighting an old green man that she that she calls uh she calls grotesque I would fight him back too what do you guys think of that the statue of Sidorak on uh the bottom of page four it's the most ugly looking little statue I've ever seen
2: <laughs> that's not what he looks like normally right I'm, yeah that's no Sidorak I'm familiar with he looks like a big ugly juggernaut normally yeah, I mean he's got we- yeah, he's got weird things coming off him, but definitely not like that. It would be funny if we if we had him show up like that. He doesn't like anything like that when we've seen him recently.
1: Has anyone seen that really old terrible movie Trolls 2? Oh, yeah. It's, like, it's been a while. It's like the worst movie ever made. That stuff <laughs> kind of looks like one of the trolls and that's not a compliment. <laughs> Uh, we also see the Ancient One referencing his uh, his fictional country, or home country of Kamar-Taj, which is uh, occasionally in the Doctor Strange books. Uh, Heather, keep us going on page five.
2: Uh, wait, no, sorry, one more thing. Sorry, just a really dumb thing. Uh, I, I think, I think if you go on YouTube and you want to know more about the Ancient One, let me double check, Ancient <laughs> One. I, I, back when Marvel AR was a thing, I did oh I might not you might not be able to find it because of the Tilda Swinton movie. There's so many things about her. Oh no, there it is. Um I I did a thing where my cat in the form of a little puppet and me doing a funny voice explained the history of the ancient one. Um so if you Google or or, or YouTube search Scapy the Cat, S-C-A-P-I-E, the cat talks the ancient one, you will get a three-minute video of the history of the ancient one as explained by a cat.
1: Well that amazing. <laughs> Uh, and, and for those of our listeners, I mean, Marvel Continuity runs deep, obviously, but Doctor Strange was running concurrently to the X-Men back then. We're going to see him in this issue in a minute. And the Ancient One was his teacher, who was also a character in the comics back then until he died, but then came back younger later, you know, because comics, that's how things work. <laughs>
2: <laughs> My favorite thing that I remember from that history I did was that apparently to become the the, the Sorcerer Supreme, he uh, went out and met the universe. Yes. Eternity, eternity <laughs> themselves.
3: Kind On <of> a grinder date, <laughs> <laughs> it just lit into the universe's DMs. Heather, <laughs> <laughs> page five.
4: Um. So that is the conclusion of the strangely gripping tale from the memories. Um. <laughs> and so, then they're like, "Well, maybe like, who can we?" Fine, like can we find this ancient one? and so they use let's
1: see. cerebro got tipped over last issue, juggernaut smashed yes. it, so they gotta stand it back up
4: <laughs> <laughs> and then um they're so they stand it back up, and apparently it takes all of them, so that's fine, Sure. <laughs> and then they're trying to. Find the ancient one with cerebro.
2: Cerebro and, does anything you want back then.
4: Yeah, apparently.
2: It just does redi- It. Uh, when I was reading these, trying to ponder out how cerebro worked, it made no sense because it would be like, there's something. And you'd go, what? And then other times you'd be like, oh, it's magneto. I can't tell you where or what, but it's definitely <laughs> magneto. <Yeah. laughs> Like, it just does whatever.
1: I yeah. literally have written on my paper, Jordan, how does Cerebro work?
2: <laughs> back then, it did not work. It was nonsense. It's delightful nonsense, but it's nonsense.
1: So back then, it had little name tags that would pop up. It'd be yep. like Toad, Eunice. It'd like scroll through names. And when it sensed a threat, it would just scream. They're all like, oh, no, Cerebro's going off. Plug your ears, because it's just screaming. But it doesn't always...
2: Indicate a mutant threat. Sometimes yeah, it's just another threat. That's a thing. It might be a mutant. Let's go check it out. <laughs> but, also, but also, at some
1: point, it started downloading mutant
2: personalities, right? Like, well, that's that's much later. I mean, I want to say in the eighties, but in the eighties comics, at least, because like, it was it was much later. But that was the plan. That was the plan the whole time. So, Heather, do they find the ancient one?
4: Well, Cerebro is reacting both as if it's located the ancient one and as if it hasn't. So that makes total sense. And then lo and behold, here comes Dr. Strange. What? So
2: what, so what did they put into Cerebro that it's going, I found him and I didn't They were just like, I don't know, guy magic. <laughs> Sounds good. <laughs> I'm thinking like,
1: Jean's Jean's telepathy is working under the under the radar. She doesn't realize it. She just reaches out to
2: Doctor Strange. <laughs> that makes the most sense to me. Like, cause they didn't know he was the Sorcerer Supreme. Like, if they were going, oh, he said he was the Sorcerer Supreme. Let's then at least you could latch onto that. But they were but just they like, I saw a guy,
3: point, right? Like they met at the wedding of Reed Richards and Sue Storm, right? So. Yep. They, they briefly know, okay. crossed paths with Doctor Strange. Okay. They was red, with it's like, "Oh, who's magic guy?" <laughs> but he <laughs> was probably some, some guy
1: sitting across the room. I don't think they had a conversation.
3: Yeah.
4: Yeah. Well, and then it does say that the Ancient One is no more, and his very essence is passed to Doctor Strange. And so, if they're looking for the Ancient One, if they're looking for his essence, then that's Doctor Strange. So,
3: set Cerebro to essence.
0: Yes,
1: <laughs> I, I am now 43, and according to my children, I am the ancient one. <laughs> you can find me right here. What is uh, what does Doctor Strange tell the X Men, Heather?
4: Um, he well, first of all, he says that he's there from Stonehenge at great risk. Um, but
1: and you have to and you have to read his title to find out what's happening at Stonehenge. Stonehenge.
4: Yeah. He's on trial, apparently, Um, but he tells them that he can send two of them on a journey to, I don't know if it's really to defeat the juggernaut or to find um, the ruby or what, because he just says, the journey I propose is very dangerous and only two may undertake it. And so it's decided that Gene and Scott are going to go
3: because... scooby doo um, moment. Mm-hmm. We got to uh, split up the party. Let's have the leader and the hot redhead go one way and mm-hmm. then Elma and the slackers. You're going to go the other way.
4: Well, did Scott pick her because of her great telekinetic power or selfishly because he loves her?
1: Gene <laughs> Jean, Jean is not playing it cool here. Scott's like, who should I take She's like, me, me, pick me, pick me. <laughs>
4: Me, Scott? I, I must go with you.
1: They he, just had their first date. He finally started opening up to her after 30 goddamn issues. So yeah. of course <laughs> she wants to spend some one-on-one time. So. And, they're, and they're holding hands as they get faded yeah. away.
4: Fresh. Well, they have to be touching for it to work. So Dr. So Strange casts a spell to send them to the Temple of Sidorak. And Tells them that they have to repeat the incantation, and then he fucks right off back to Stonehenge. <laughs> he,
2: he tells as, them their plan telepathically. <laughs> yeah. What did you say, Jordan? I'm sorry. He, te- he tells them the plan like telepathically. Here's the thing about the X Men that I was pretty shocked to learn uh, when I when I finally went in and read all these old issues. Um, they kind of suck. Like they <laughs> fail a lot, and when they don't it's usually because they followed instructions from someone smarter than them. Like they almost never figure anything out. (laughs) It's always professor X told them what to do. Mm -hmm. Uh, And in this one, professor X is incapacitated. So Dr. Strange came up with a plan for them. Like they can't do anything on their own. (laughs) Well, and oh, Professor,
1: Professor X is such an asshole in the early oh, issue, yeah. but starting in this issue, he starts disappearing from the book for like long, long stretches of time. <laughs> He's just yeah.
3: But they still fail a lot. They're like, listen, they fail a lot. <laughs> <laughs> so
1: when Scott and Jean fade away, they land in, uh, in the area where the temple is in Korea, <laughs> and they immediately start kind of working their way into the temple. They zap the military aside, there's something kind of very flirty between them, although they never say it. It's uh, it's kind of adorable, actually. Scott's finally me- feeling more confident around Jean, you can sense. Uh, but he gets very protective at the same time. Jean uh, mentions that she has telekinetically probed some rocks, and I'd just like to note it's been a long time since I've been telekinetically probed.
3: Uh, <laughs> <laughs> just kidding, I'm married.
1: I'm doing fine.
3: <laughs> I'd also like to point out, since it's a 60s comic book, they had to take a slam against communists. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> they just had to throw that into the the, uh,
2: the, g- the gene okay. probing thing is interesting because uh, that's something i was kind of surprised about too when i was reading the, all this stuff is that um there's like an aspect of the mental powers that we don't ever use anymore which is just second sight just straight up second sight uh, like w- nowadays everything is very delineated into telepathy is about reading someone else's mind you are seeing you're seeing what someone else knows telekinesis is moving things with your mind but back then there was stuff of just like I know where that thing is because I can see the thing that I can't see with my eyes. Like and clairvoyance- that's what Gene is doing here.
3: What was that, Mike? Oh, that the clairvoyance is just built into this vague mental stuff.
2: Yeah, yeah. I I can, I mean, I, I remember there have been times when Professor X, like, will just, yeah, he'll, like, look at a building and be like, oh, like, the, the it's in that room over there. But it's not like he's reading it out of somebody's mm-hmm. mind. It's like he's reading the building
1: with his mind yeah Jean's Jean's powers are very inconsistent a lot of the time in the 60s Uh, she's like very capable and then very incapable a lot but she's very capable in this issue I, I think she's actually kind of a powerhouse
2: like it's kind of fascinating the idea of using telepathy I'm sorry telekinesis to feel something out like I'm gonna send my like as though I'm doing it with my hands right I'm gonna just feel the room and then I'll know where everything is in the next room because I've used my telekinesis to feel it
0: like
3: telekinetic braille yes exactly
2: so gene and scott work
1: their way into the sidorac temple there's a bizarre fogly statue again trolls 2 is right here on display (laughs) and they interface with it and they get to cast the spell that dr strange uh put into their brains now dr strange back in the 60s all of his spells were rhyming and he was always calling upon mystic entities and i i I like the idea of Stanley just sitting in his house and coming up with a bunch of nonsense words that he
0: can use. <laughs> uh,
1: I mean, the word Sidorak is one of them, but all of these entities have been used in the comics multiple times. Oh, yeah. We recently covered in the Juggernaut trial that we did here that Sidorak is in competition with a lot of other mystical entities. That story gets told in Kurt Busiek's eighth day storyline where Juggernaut is uh, fighting against the avatars of these other entities. And some of them are, are uh, are called upon here in this spell. So let me read Gene's spell out loud. By Dread Dormammu's deadly twin, by Hogoth's hoary strands, let these two now descend within the ruby of crimson bands. So I, I love me a, a 60s Doctor Strange spell. It always makes me happy somehow. Uh, but by doing that, they shrink down or the gem opens up and they get sucked into the crimson cosmos, which is another dimension where Sidorak lives. There are apparently people who live there we see in some comics, but often we just see it as kind of the space where he dwells. Juggernaut gets trapped there a lot (laughs) in his future appearances. He's stuck floating in this like etherless, timeless void Uh, in one set of uh, appearances, which again, we covered in the Juggernaut trial. He ages into an old man. And then like dies and is reborn again in the crimson cosmos. But uh we we kind of get to enter, we realize there's a whole universe within this Crimson Ruby that powers the juggernaut. Uh any thoughts on these pages?
2: Let's see. Yeah. <laughs> They're fine. They're fine.
1: <laughs> when they get inside, they immediately find this guy, Zorak, who has been stuck there in this timeless void for a long time, and he's now calling himself the Outcast. And this is the guy who was supposed to be on the cover but the comics code authority found him too scary. Uh do you guys think he's scary?
2: No. <laughs> no, he's no, ridiculous. No.
3: There's nothing scary about him. He, looks like he kind of looks scary. like
2: the like the uh abomination. A little bit? A little Shrek like?
4: i was going to say he's like pre-Shrek Shrek. He definitely
2: is. like.
1: He's definitely evil though. You can tell because it's purple and green. That was yep. the Marvel thing back then. Anytime it's purple and
2: green, you're evil. Unless you're it's the Hulk. <laughs> this this is a bizarre scene because um he so like like you said the ancient one threw him in there countless centuries ago I don't even know how long ago um and yeah I, I, from everything we see in this book he is there alone he has been there by himself but that's not the approach he takes when he describes it he talks about how he rules there <laughs> and
3: it's like what <laughs> Like to Nihilus here, he looks a little like oh, a nihilist. Yeah. he Rules over a random other dimension.
2: Yeah, yeah. Well, I don't know. Was this before or after him? I, that's a good question, yeah. actually. But yeah, it does look a lot like him in that respect. And he calls himself the outcast, which I think is doubly weird because it's like, sure, he was, I don't, he wasn't really cast out. He was like banished in the way that you do to a bad demon. Right. But like he calls himself the outcast while saying, I'm the king, king outcast for some reason. <laughs> we see this
1: character never again, basically. Now, we've seen Juggernaut hundreds of times. We've yeah. seen Sidorak a few dozen times. But this guy, I think the only other time he's ever referenced, if I know, is in uh, in a book called X-Men First Class Number 4, which oh, isn't yeah. technically continuity. They briefly talk about this guy and his mythos. Uh, but yeah, this is kind of a one-off. And and again, we've been talking about Roy Thomas back then, both bringing back characters like the Juggernaut, but also creating lots of new characters who generally didn't have a lot of shelf life. El Tigre is an example, and Kuku Khan, and, uh, and the Ogre. And now we've got this guy, Zorak the Outcast, which again, he never really shows up again.
2: Did you guys get to Jack of Diamonds yet or not yet? Nope, we're not there yet. We're going to get okay. to Jack of Diamonds. We have a lot <laughs> okay. to
1: say about Cyclops in his past soon. <laughs> okay. Oh, <good, good. laughs> Now we flash back to Earth, and we see the Juggernaut kind of stomping, trying to steal a plane. Still, and the X Men are closing in, and yet another goddamn helicopter. Xavier has like three gajillion helicopters back then. They've
4: really? All though Earth. there's a new one every episode.
2: <laughs> and uh, well, it, be, it does beat the Rolls Royce that they
1: used to drive around in. <laughs> yes, it does uh although they do not treat this property as if it's worth anything in this issue uh we get a kind of a knockoff statement of whatever happened to the weak villains like magneto and the sentinels which is hilarious (laughs) in its way
0: uh
1: and then they start to fight the juggernaut juggernaut has broken through some electric fences he's ready to smash the military the x-men close in Iceman builds a giant hoist and their plan is to chop him up (laughs) With the the rotor blade Or the propeller of the helicopter But Juggernaut immediately just rips the helicopter Apart to which the X-Men go Oh fuck we better run Because there's there's nothing we can do
3: But they should know this they went up against him
2: Well that's the thing like I was torn Between thinking like this is ridiculous Because you know you're just ruining a helicopter As he says but also If you don't think you're just ruining a helicopter You're gonna chop that guy up That's your other plan
1: (laughs) Also, this is a millions of dollar Billions of dollars helicopter well, uh, Billions
2: is, much, is a bit much
1: Many millions, we'll say uh, how, <laughs> Whose idea was this? Angel, Iceman, or Beast?
4: I think that At times like this, they have One collective brain cell between the three of them <laughs> And so it's it's anyone's guess.
1: This seems like a beast plan to me.
2: Oh, back yeah. then he was more clever than that.
4: Yeah.
1: <laughs> was he though? He was pretending to
3: be smart a lot. <laughs> so, wait, were they trying to defeat Juggernaut, or were they just like running down the clock until Gene and Scott do whatever they were gonna do? Was well, that the established, thing established, or are they like go team?
2: They tell they tell them to distract him. They know they're not gonna beat him. They are saying distract him, although that raises the question why and from what like what are we just why do we need to distract him he is not trying to stop scott and jean so they could just go why don't we let the military try to stop him and we'll wait for scott and jean (laughs) like i don't know why they feel they need to stop him
1: i feel like if i was a reader in the 60s i'd be like
2: oh my god why don't they call thor
1: sure Um, uh, Mike, do you want to take us on page 13 as we flashback to Scott and Gene?
3: Oh, okay. So this actually is just so Silver Age fun. It also (laughs) shows how Gene is actually, as you said, MVP of this. So he's throwing out not the Scarlet Bands of (laughs) Sidorak, it's Scarlet Circles of Doom, which (laughs) seems to be these, like, little, I don't even know, like, just ribbons. That they're throwing at them, and then Jean, at this point, now she has good telekinesis, and she's just popping them back at them. Again, she's the most useful. I don't think Scott does anything that you. Oh, I think he blasts them off at some point. But yeah, honestly, in this issue, she's pretty much carrying the weight of both of them.
2: Yeah, I mean, again, yes, she accomplishes things. Just like you're right. I don't know if he actually contributes other than like with moral support.
3: He blasts the ribbons again. These oddly frail ribbons that they're concerned about. These Scarlet
1: Circles of Doom look like the way when I was a little tiny kid that I would draw roses. It's like a little (laughs) circle with a swirl around it. (laughs)
3: But they are of doom, so that makes them scary, of course. I think that's the only thing we see the dude use. I'm scrolling here. He uses the ribbons, she pushes them back. They're walking, they come back and now they're bound. I don't does he use anything else on them? And he's enormous now. And he's enormous, <laughs> yeah. Because all villains do that back then. And uh, there's also the crimson tentacles. <laughs> but they're basically the same. They're pretty much the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> Their ribbons are, like, gonna wrap around you. Scary. And, of course, this guy's too scary for the cover. <laughs> so. He's gonna eat the X-Men. <laughs> I mean,
2: honestly, I, they don't say that he's gonna eat them. But, like, I definitely spent that sequence going... I guess he's gonna eat them because it's just like, yeah, they, he, they're they're mouth. tied up, going towards his giant mouth. Also, why is this guy so mad? He's so angry at them.
4: <laughs> well, they're, after being in isolation for the past five days, I get it. He knows how long he's been in isolation?
2: We get some <laughs> insolent mortals, like he's yelling at him. Uh, he could have, but the, but the, but you're right. He could have been like, "Thank God you're here. You can get me out of here."
3: But like, also, But instead, he's like, like,
2: I'll kill you. How about that? <laughs>
3: it could have been a great opportunity for them to actually have met Sidorak. Like, I don't oh, know sure. why there's this other character here when there's Sidorak. He lives there. He actually means something to this entire Juggernaut narrative. Well, he, but, he must
2: you know, not live there at this point. Because, again, there. Zorak is saying he rules the, the Oh, right. Wait, so then where's Sidorak for all of this? <laughs>
1: Sidorak, Sidorak does not show up. He gets he gets used. They, they use his name in the comics a lot, but he does not show up for a really long time. And when he does, he is not a nice entity. He is <laughs> he is he is the like rage devil of of the Marvel universe. Like he's scary, scary. Uh he's he's yeah, they don't want to meet him. It's good
3: that they did not. How do they defeat Zorak, Mike? Um, let's see what we got here. It was with a watch or something weird like that, wasn't yeah, it? Gene's lucky that she has a watch yeah. on. Again, Gene just falling ass-backwards into being MVP of this issue. She telekinetically throws a watch at him. He is terrified of it. Again, another example of girls in Silver Age, they always had powers that made sure they can stay away from any melee combat. Because <laughs> a woman, the wasp, could blast things from afar. Again, it's that... Inf- infantilizing women back then those gals yep.
2: this makes no freaking sense at all <laughs> he dies because the watch touches because him the
3: watch
1: <laughs> they realize they are, they are in a world of quote timeless silence and when the watch touches Zorak he screams in pain Gene presses it against him but
2: then he ages hundreds of years and turns into dust oh actually no I'm sorry I have to clarify something because they made a point to say she didn't do it. Um she taunts him with the watch and then she um he's like he's like let me go let me go and she's like I'm trying but I can't and it's as if the watch has a life of its own. So she is not the cruel one who murders this guy. She was going to be merciful, but the watch just watch decided people. he had to go. <laughs> The
1: watch I mean, is I, the real villain.
2: I think we could probably <laughs> chalk this up to Xavier's manipulations breaking through her, right? Like, I right, I guess.
1: So Heather and I have been reading a lot of old 60s books and I would chalk this up to easily the top five weirdest fucking moments we read. Like the watch <laughs> murdering the demon. Heather, what, any thoughts here? Uh, yeah, I think it's real fucking weird.
0: Although
4: I do sheet to the watch before this and so this is more of a callback instead of randomly being like oh hey here's this watch so I mean they are learning a little bit in that aspect but also what <laughs> <laughs>
1: The scarlet circles of doom. I mean, that's all I have to say. We also get a reference when Jean is hanging from the crimson tentacles, where she she says, "Now I know how Fay Ray felt when she first met Hong Kong," which is oh, fantastic. I
4: love that so much.
1: <laughs> I actually randomly read the biography of the woman who played Fay Ray, or the the, the actress Fay Ray, a few yeah. years back. Uh, it was actually really interesting. There was a lot of things to learn. So look up Fay Ray for it, folks. It's uh, <laughs> there's a lot to learn about old Hollywood there. <laughs> Um, we also see, uh, we also see Cyclops saying, my eye beams if I can just reach the control stud, and I would just like to say to Cyclops, you are the control stud.
2: (laughs) (laughs) And also, in the next panel, he's shooting without touching the control stud.
1: Right. Maybe Gene (laughs) opened his visor telekinetically. I'm always looking for no prizes, Jordan. Well, they (laughs) do, I think... Anytime it doesn't make sense, I'm trying to find that explanation.
2: I think soon they do. They do retcon the the hand controller pretty soon. I think it happens pretty soon. Um, but then he. Why did he specifically say he needed to reach the control stand? So there you are. But we have seen Gene open it up with her mind. Before. Have we seen that before? Okay. Yeah. Uh,
1: uh, Jordan, will you take us on page seventeen? Tell us. Uh, tell us what happens next.
2: All right. So so uh, so they're back. They they got teleported straight back to Westchester, and they're like, let's get out there, and uh, we can go follow our buddies and find a juggernaut. So in a new plane in an, in another plane. Yeah. They just have, they have them just sitting around. They have (laughs) so many. Uh, Xavier's really rich. Like do we ever find out how he got rich? Like where did his family's money come from? I'm interested. I'm interested.
1: There's so much money.
2: (laughs) So um, as soon as they leave uh, factor three moves in, but we'll get back to that later. So, uh, over at the, uh, wh- wherever they are, like at an airport, I think, yeah, Juggernaut's trying to catch a plane. So, over at the airport, uh, they go, the X-Men go to hide in a wind tunnel. <laughs> a thing that they just have at airports, I guess at, 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 at uh, air bases, I don't even know what it is. Um, so, they turn on this air tunnel which my first thought is it's going to keep him away, but it's actually going the other direction. It's a wind tunnel that's sucking him in for some reason, because I guess the X-Men are going, hey, you know, it'd be great if he could not be stopped from coming towards us. Wait, what? But that's what they did. And so he goes, hey, why don't I just not resist? Which flies him at the fan and destroys it.
3: Which he did with the other propeller. They just saw what happens with him and propellers. Yes. Um,
2: (laughs) My favorite part about that is Beast going, I was afraid of this eventuality. Well, you didn't. You weren't very helpful with that information. (laughs) Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I knew this was going to (laughs) happen. That that gets destroyed. But for some reason, by the way, it kind of works. Destroying this giant fan propeller um, makes him, quote unquote, groggy, which turns off his force field for a minute and allows Beast to kick him, except that Beast is like, ooh, this is not, this still doesn't help. He's still really hard to hurt without this uh, uh, force field. And he ice kicks Man him works. with a
1: and he kicks him with a clump.
2: Clump. <laughs> um, Angel hits him with a metal pole, and Iceman freezes him. But then his force field kicks back in, and he bursts the ice. And he's like, "All right, now I'm gonna, you know, kill you."
3: <laughs> <Through> his legs, <laughs> frames yeah. legs.
2: Now this is when uh, the the climax occurs. Uh, they literally are like. Oh man, we're gonna die! But wait, look over there. Look we're maybe we're okay. And Juggernaut's like, yeah, 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 yeah. And then of course it is. It's Cyclops and Jean, and they've shown up with this crystal, and they they hold it over him, and then he grabs it, and that suddenly sucks him into the what is it? The Crimson Dimension is it called? Crimson, crimson Cosmos. Yeah. Cosmos. <laughs> so here's the thing. I, I before we move on past this page, <laughs> I, we need to talk about this whole issue quickly. The whole plot because it makes zero sense it is complete and utter nonsense so here's what happened juggernaut a long time ago right uh goes to this temple of sidorak touches this gem and turns into the juggernaut does not take the gem with him leaves it there why i don't know because i would have thought he takes it or it becomes part of no nope, don't worry about it it's gonna sit there there you know how you know because They go and they find it. So they go and they find the gem that he found, that he touched, that made him the juggernaut. And instead of going, we're going to take this gem or we're going to do something with this gem, they go inside the gem. Okay, sure, because there's a cosmos there. So fine. What do they need from the cosmos? What they need from the cosmos is somehow the gem that they are in is also inside the gem that they are in. So they find the gem that they're in inside that gem, and that version of the gem, which Cyclops keeps calling the prototype gem (laughs) for sure, the prototype gem, he takes that and they teleport that, and for some reason Juggernaut touching the prototype gem, not them touching it, because they've been touching it the whole time. Them touching it does nothing, but Juggernaut touching it makes him go into the Crimson Cosmos. What about that makes any sense at all? None,
1: zero well, And let me provide additional context We oh, literally please. we literally just did a huge review of the Juggernaut And I reviewed his entire history okay, So if, okay. you put, if you put all the retcons in place Sidorak okay. built this temple Because he entered a wager with other entities Like Ragador and, you know, etc Where they're each going to put an artifact on Earth And get an avatar who will then war for the the conquest of Earth but Juggernaut uh-huh. was the first one, and the other the other seven didn't activate for until years later, right? But there was Juggernauts before Juggernaut. So in the New Excalibur run under Frank Thierry, we learned that there was another guy who was the Juggernaut first. And this right, Jane right. Marco, after he was buried, the first thing he did is he had to go kill this other guy and his village then go after the X-Men. But we also learn in Chuck Austin's run that Sidorak didn't want Kane Marco to be the Juggernaut. He wanted Professor X to be the Juggernaut. And so there's all of this bizarre nonsense that gets worked in. So when you work this issue in, I think Sidorak's just pissed at Kane and pulls him into the Crimson Cosmos where he basically stays for the rest of the 60s and the 70s. <laughs> <laughs> he, he, he gets pulled so- out of the dimension and then zapped back over and over again for the next 15 years.
2: Um, my favorite bit about that is that, uh, again, much like with the outcast earlier in the issue, what Jean says is after he gets selected, she goes, Where he's been transported to Crimson Cosmos, says Cyclops. She says, Where Cain Marco will rule in place of the outcast forever. And I'm like, Again, this concept of someone alone forever ruling. That's a way to put a nice spin on that, Gene. Oh, we've basically made him a king. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> and asking it-
1: Juggernaut's going to spend the next like hundred years in isolation before he finally gets to meet Black Tom, who's his husband. We've decided. <laughs> sure,
2: sure. So, uh, so they that's they they're very thrilled to have gotten rid of him, and they fly home where they learn that the professor is gone, um, not knowing that it was of course uh, factor three, but going. Oh my God! What do we what do we do? What do we do? Um, and apparently, they won't find out next time. Because...
1: It'll be like
2: it'll be like another nine issues. <laughs> <laughs> well, it even like it's funny because the next issue blurb says it. The next issue says the extraordinary X Men versus Mole Man and Tyrannus, or what to do till Factor Three comes. <laughs> so they're like, you like this cliffhanger? We're not going to solve it next time, but come by anyway.
1: As the Juggernaut disappears, there's very much a Wicked wish of the West. Like, I'm melting, I'm melting kind of thing as he's slowly fading away. But I'm supposed to be indestructible. I'm the Juggernaut. <laughs> and he disappears.
2: At one point, um, this is just a random Juggernaut thing. Uh, we were doing, uh, I was still in the X office when they were doing Amazing X-Men. I didn't work on Amazing X-Men, but I was uh, around. And when Jason was planning it, um, before he ended up leaving the book earlier than he had planned, but at one point he was gonna do an arc that had a bunch of juggernauts, which I, hopefully he won't mind me saying this. Kind of reminds me of what he ended up doing with the Phoenix.
1: Oh sure, yeah.
2: Um, but I was I was pushing so hard to call that arc the Gathering of the Juggernauts, and <laughs> no one
3: wanted to do that. <laughs>
1: Uh, Mike and Heather, what did you think about the conclusion of this issue?
3: Honestly, I was hoping this was the point, because i it's all nebulous here, but at some point, Changeling slips in for Xavier, right? Isn't there some point where... I was hoping that was going to be, because you see the shadows, you see that, and they were just going to swap them in, but we just got, okay, he's gone. Uh, again, it's just the five of them, and this is the worst. They... As soon as just the five of them without Xavier, they're like, what are we going to do? They are so dependent on this old man who lusts over Jean <laughs> that keeps them in this like infantile state. Um I can see why this book was canceled so many times. It's yeah. not the X-Men that we grew up with, it's the X-Men that a couple generations before grew up with.
1: I wish we had just had like a knockdown, drag out, incredible fight between the X-Men and Juggernaut this issue. There's so much weird nonsense that gets tossed in. It's kind of like a Doctor Strange issue and they're forcing some narratives and there's military showing up and Juggernaut doesn't really shine as as an effective villain here, nor does Zorak. I think the X-Men are a little bit bumbling and a little bit clumsy and Jean is really the only star player in this issue.
3: And the watch. Yes. And so, watch
2: well, but again, I, I, I listen. I am not trying to ruin old X Men comics for you, but seriously, they bumble a lot. Like, I, I most issues are about them facing a threat and finding out why their powers don't work. Like, and and I wish that then they come up with a clever way, and it, usually that's not what happens. Like, it's I want them to go, but if I know that's not what happens, like, it usually it's some. Other thing, like uh, again, Professor X, or or the the villains fight each other because they're all they hate each other, or you know, th- they, they get lucky a lot. It's a real bummer, um, which
3: is bad because they're all their spare time is spent training on being better superheroes. They train a lot, but you put them in the field, it's just like, oh, honey. <laughs> <laughs> Most of what I
1: love about the 60s comics Is the soap opera stuff So like last issue we got a lot of shit with, uh, with Candy Southern and Vera Cantor And Zelda Kurtzberg who I adore And we got a lot of like Bernard the Poet Shows up but this issue just has a lot Of weirdness it's, it's a very Strange issue uh, Heather did you enjoy this one?
4: This one is A little bit of a mess and it's Kind of all over The place but I enjoyed it because Jean Grey is Banff. Um, But that's, like, all I really liked about this particular one is that Jean has heard it.
1: Jordan, what's it like going back and reading this, these <laughs> books when you're working so hard on current continuity? I mean, again, this is where they come from, right? You yes. guys, uh, well, and let me ask like a supplementary question. You guys have big plans for the juggernaut coming up. It looks like.
2: Oh yeah, yeah, he's going to be in uh, Legion of X, absolutely. And we just finished a, we just finished an Infinity comic with him and. and uh, Deadpool, which kind of followed up on the the miniseries that, that Fabian wrote about him last year, which I thought was a, was a blast. Uh, but yeah, he's going to be in Legion of X now as well. So yeah, we love that character. Uh, it's fun reading these. Like again, I, I so I read all of them, not literally all of them for the first time, but I read the bulk of them for the first time of ever reading them. Uh, was it last year or was it the year before? I guess it was the year before. Oh. And uh, it was fun because they, it's crazy. It's crazy to see it's it's surprising to see how much it's changed how much i mean it, when they when those themes that you're, you're talking about like when you get to that sentinel arc that early sentinel arc like that's like oh here's where they finally made it work and then of course they forget to keep making it work but <laughs> like they, they start to get these gems and you're like oh i can see why that's a thing we keep coming back to and i can see why this bit is the thing they keep coming back to but then they don't they do fail a lot that said i I definitely read through it and was going like, oh, I want to do, I want to bring back some of this stuff. And we haven't had a reason to yet, but someday, someday. Um, Have you gotten to uh, 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 Lucifer yet? Mm
1: -hmm. Oh yeah. We've covered Lucifer in depth. He's he's long gone now. Good,
2: good, good. (laughs) Uh, When we got to that, like, I definitely remember talking to Al about like, we should do something with Lucifer's, alien race because it's nonsense. It's silly and it doesn't make a ton of sense, but like we should do something with it. And we never got around to it. Maybe someday, maybe someday.
1: We uh we covered some of his future appearances there including like, kind of how it like wraps up in Thunderbolts and Avengers under Kurt Busiek. Uh oh, so there, do- there's something he's- there's something's done with that character but he's been he's been gone a long time. We call him uh we call him Dimestore Magneto.
0: <laughs>
2: yeah. well he's ridiculous and yeah it's uh, it's uh, it's such a bummer. It's such a bummer the big place he has in Xavier's history for such a dud of a character. <laughs> um yeah. And I, I it's interesting I didn't realize Kurt did that stuff. I, I Kurt Kurt is a big fan of the 60s stuff. I know he also I, I mentioned that um I mentioned that Scott and Jean undercover thing. They had an issue planned with uh, I believe Angel and uh Angel and uh, Iceman undercover as well and it's it's advertised in the next issue blurb but then the book got completely revamped and it didn't happen and I know Kurt wrote the story. Kurt oh, eventually went amazing. I'm going to I'm going to pay that off. So So Kirk, not only
1: in his, uh, in Avengers volume three, I believe it's number 12, he, uh, Lucifer's entire base, which is the Dominus computer comes to life and the, and the Avengers have to fight it. And then the only other place, the ogre, which is a a character Roy Thomas created when uh, the first appearance of the Banshee, he's teamed up with this super nonsense villain called the ogre and kurt brings the ogre back in his thunderbolts run uh which is the only other place the ogres ever appeared which is he's
2: great he's great with that stuff he's so great with that stuff the other thing that's like the the weird commonly weird theme of the x-men that i i kept that kept popping up that i was like what was how often they don't realize they're fighting something from space sure (laughs) like it's it's so often did you get to the Frankenstein one?
1: No, no, that's number 40. We'll get there. Okay.
2: Then I won't say anything
0: more. <laughs> <laughs> well,
1: but factor three itself, we'll we'll get there yes. too. And factor three is a very slow bird. We uh we don't resolve this plot until issue 39, and it's been running for like quite some time now.
2: When I was uh, when I was reading this, I remember thinking, uh, this there's no way this is not going to be disappointing. The fact three thing because I've never heard of it, like and the fact I was sitting there going, if if this is the, if this goes on for this long in the old comics and we never talk about it ever, it can't be good.
1: <laughs> it's very Cold War based. We'll we'll get into a deeper review on them in the future. Uh uh this this issue is nonsense and a lot of deliciousness at the same time. I love the sixties for the camp and the crazy. Uh oh, yeah. Mike, was it what was it like reading reading an old sixties issue for you?
3: Uh there was the nostalgia because I did love reading these because they released all those early X-Men when I was just starting out in comics. So it's a nice little glimpse, especially it's so cute when they try to be like contemporary, the Fay Ray reference, but it's just so dated at this point. <laughs> but my problem is it's Not an X-Men issue because it's got nothing to do really with mutants. This could have been a Fantastic Four or like Iron Man. It's just if we had a villain there, we got nonsense on another dimension and they somehow got through it because of a watch. It's just such a weird way to get out of this.
1: If we look at the cover for next issue, you'll notice again it's like a giant thing fighting the little heroes. <laughs> but oh, yeah. we get to see uh see, see a Hulk villain named Tyrannus uh and a fantastic four villain named the Mole Man who are gonna fight the X-Men. Uh it's uh we're gonna get there. When we get to that, we're gonna be reviewing that issue with uh with Steve Orlando and uh hey. Connor Goldsmith from the Cerebro Cast. I'm super excited to have them both on. Uh it's gonna be it's gonna be a really great time. Um, as we conclude today, any final thoughts on this issue you guys would like to share?
2: No, it's not, it's not, not, not even the best old juggernaut story by a long shot.
1: (laughs) There's so much better juggernaut out there. (laughs) Um, this has been an absolute delight to just nerd out with, with you guys. I, uh, I am having so much fun doing this podcast, but as I get to have these conversations and make new friends what a wonderful, wonderful evening. Uh, thank you all for spending your time with me tonight. Um, as we conclude, where can people find you guys on social media? And anything we can look forward to coming up uh, in your personal work, which Jordan, specifically for you, if you want to tease anything, we would love to hear it. Uh, but uh, but let's start with Heather and then Mike and then Jordan.
4: Uh, so you can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Heather underscore Beth underscore and I'm real boring and don't have anything going on right now.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but you're done with COVID
3: isolation. Hooray! <laughs> Mike, how about you? All right, you can find me on Instagram at Mike Siriaco, M I K E C I R I A C O 2099, or on Twitter at Mike Siriaco. Uh, check out com. We got some great video content coming out. Uh, we got a video this week covering uh, bigotry at the Magic Castle. We got one uh, covering pop culture in Los Angeles. And we got a segment called Geek Chic this week where we cover diversity in Dungeons and Dragons. So we got a bunch of stuff coming out. Uh, and Mike, for you guys, if you just look Mike Seriaco up, he's on uh, he's on YouTube
1: in some places, but on Twitter, he's an amazingly charming host, which is why I reached out to him. Come on, Mike, thank you so much for spending your evening. With
0: thank
3: us. you so much for having me. This has been so much fun and I learned a lot. Just me think you know everything about X-Men. <laughs> you do this and then jordan how about you
2: i'm not really on social media so much anymore i'm still on instagram but it's like pictures of me and my son doing legos and pictures of records i'm playing so most people probably don't want to see that but if they really do it's a crack shot with a zero instead of an no um uh what's coming out uh well we're about to relaunch a, a ton of books right now the Ten Lives in X Deaths of Wolverine is coming out. Uh, I'm not editing that, but I still oversee the whole line, so I'm involved in it. That's coming out, and when that wraps, we're launching a bunch of ton, a bunch, a bunch of ton, both new of new books: Immortal <laughs> X Men, a new series of Marauders written by Steve Orlando that we just you just mentioned. Um, uh, X Men's going to be keep coming out that whole time. Uh, Knights of X, Legion of X, um, X Men Red by by Al Ewing, um, and then like I said, that X Men '92 book. Uh, written by Steve Fox, it's going to be such a blast. It's a Five issue mini, but it's super fun. It's going to and it's going to do, it's going to do, a an interpretation of everything that we've been doing for the last couple of years in 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 five issues, and it's going to be really really fun. And if I'm intuiting right, there's a few things that have not been announced yet too. So. Oh yeah, there's a, there's a, I mean always. There's, I'm all, I'm always working on a bunch of things. Oh, also I should mention uh, because we do a bunch of work on it, and I don't think we mention it enough. Uh, X one unlimited is a so weekly good. series out on um, on Marvel Unlimited. So if you're a subscriber to Marvel Unlimited, we do these Infinity comics. They're designed to be read on your cell phone. And uh, yeah, we put out a new episode of that pretty much every Monday. Like we took a couple of breaks at holidays last year, but for the most part, they will be every week. And they're a good time. It's, it's a place where you're going to get nutty X stories that you're not going to get anywhere else, for sure.
1: Uh, and then my name is Chad. I keep uh, my own social media private because I've got kiddos, but you can find me on Gray Malcolm P, P like podcast on Twitter or Gray and Lane on Instagram. I'm posting regularly content from these issues. We have a lot of really amazing stuff coming up. Uh, I, I have stuff booked out for the next three months that I am so oh, excited for. Uh, Jordan and I first connected, what, two and a half months ago when we booked today so like the fact that we're planning this far ahead is really exciting for me as a as a podcaster now actually our next I I told you we're reviewing with uh Stephen Connor soon but we're actually taking a break our next episode is going to be a really incredible issue featuring uh the writer Jessica Baldonzi who uh wrote uh uh, an interpretive book about Ms. Marvel and how it's changed feminism in comics she's a Mm. college professor We're going to be doing just kind of a conversation-based episode with some of our favorite recurring guest stars uh, who are all female fans of comics. And we're going to be talking about the portrayal of women in comic books in the 60s and what it's like to be a female comic book fan. So that's going to be our next episode. Uh, I'm really excited for it. And then after that, we'll be back with uh, X-Men number 30. Or shortly after that. So please watch for that coming out. Uh, again, thank you. Thank you. Thank you to our guests this evening. Uh, Mike, thank you. Heather, thank you. And, and Jordan, especially thank you for spending your Sunday evening with us uh, tonight. Uh, we'll see you guys back next time on uh, Gray Mountain Lane.
0: At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently.